Okay. Do you have a joke? A joke? Oh, yes. I had one. And then I forgot. Can I let it come back to me? <laughs> Can I search it up? Can you search a joke right now? <laughs> I, I had one. And I was like, this is going to be an okay one. Like, it's not as cringy as I thought it would be. You know what? Th this show has been on hiatus for like a little while now. But the last two guests that I had, I think both forgot to bring a joke and like oh, had no. to scramble to think of one at the last minute oh, and like this is how maybe we're starting this thing. this again yeah maybe that's the thing like instead of a joke it'll be people struggling to tell you a joke <laughs> trying to remember one um it feels like every joke i've ever learned in my entire life is out of my mind now so maybe it will come back yeah. <laughs> uh, so disappointed <laughs> Hello, this is the Calgarian. I'm Taylor Lambert, and welcome back. It's uh, it's been a minute. The show uh, took an unexpected hiatus for a bit, but it's back. So here we go. My guest for this episode is Hadil Abdel Nabi. She is a journalism student at Mount Royal University, but she's already done a solid amount of impressive freelance work. And the reason I wanted to get Hadil on the show was because I was curious what the field of journalism looks like to someone who's just starting their career, and especially a young woman of color. It was a really great conversation that went a lot of different places, and uh, it was really good to hear Hadil's perspective because voices like hers are too few and far between in our media landscape. Just a reminder, if you dig this show, please give it some love. There is a Patreon account if you feel like tossing some coffee money this way, but even something like posting about it on social media or leaving a review for the show in your podcast app really does help this project stay afloat. You can visit thecalgarian.ca for more details. And now here is my conversation with Hadil Abdel Nabi. <laughs> you don't have any jokes? You can just think of a joke. What jokes have been told before? Well, <laughs> Maybe you can inspire me because I'm thinking like chicken across the road. Okay. Um, so you've done a bunch of freelance work. Mm -hmm. um, for Actually, first of all, are you in journalism school or did you just graduate? No, I'm still in journalism school. I've, I'm technically my third year, hoping this is my last year. Um, but I started freelancing in my first year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're still a journalism student, but you've been freelancing quite a bit of stuff. Um, I was struck by the, uh, the, the diversity of subjects that you write about. So like, I'm just going to read off a, a few of the, the headlines of your stories. Um, what Ramadan is like when you have an eating disorder. This LGBTQ inclusive mosque in Calgary receives threats for just existing. Conservative candidate in Alberta hiding past as a Trump campaigner. East Calgary is not a culture tour. We're going to come back to that one later. Um, what it's like living in a work camp in northern Alberta. Uh, what does legalizing weed mean for Canadian Muslims? So, like, every one of these sounds like a great story. Like, I like if, if this came up in my feed, I would, I would click on every single one of these. Thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, I try really hard to not pigeonhole myself into one thing, especially since I am still a journalism student, I like to sort of diversify and figure out what I enjoy writing about the most. 
Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's impressive for to, you're just starting out your career and you've got this really solid. Uh, you've written for Vice, you've written for Avenue, The Sprawl. You did a lot for Muslim Girl, which is an online magazine, just online, or do yes. they have a just online? Okay. Um, part of the reason that I wanted to have you on the show was uh, because you write interesting stuff, but also um, partly because like you are just at the end of your journalism school career. I graduated journalism school in 2008, so it was like roughly a decade between us. And I'm just, a lot has changed in that decade in the world, in journalism, in like society, the way we communicate, like everything has changed. And so I'm just really interested in what it's like for somebody just starting out in this field, like what you see the landscape looking like, like why in your right, why in your right mind would you choose to do this job? Um, so I want to I frame this discussion around that, but maybe just to start off, can you tell us just a little bit about your background, like where did you grow up? Sure, so I am born and raised in Calgary, um, which is hard for some people to believe because I get a lot of, where are you really from? And then I say Peter Lougheed Hospital. Um, <laughs> room 315, I don't know. Um, and like my my background i guess the what they really want to know with that question is um my mom is from lebanon and my dad is from jordan they um immigrated here like i think 35 40 ish years ago and they met here and then got a journalist child (laughs) which i'm sure they're very excited about um, yeah, I feel like there's it's it is rare sometimes to meet like a born and raised Calgarian because there's so many people coming here yeah. from other places. But I feel like that's not why they're asking you that question. Oh, definitely not. Like the the hijab definitely gives it away. It's definitely um, it invites questions, which I'm completely open to asking. A lot of the questions are innocent and curious. Um, it's just like sometimes when I'm walking down 17th Ave and I get go home, and I'm like, okay, my mom wants me home anyways. Like. <laughs> <laughs> So, did you were you like did you read the news at a young age? Like, did you were you interested in current events? How did you choose journalism as a path? This is going to sound so cliche and so um, stereotypical journalist writer, um, very on brand for me. But I have loved to write since as long as I can remember. Like since I was in elementary school, just like either writing fictional stories or snitching on my friends in like my little notebook, uh, reporting back to the teacher. I was so annoying. Um, and Wait, you snitched on your friends to the teacher. I didn't. Sn- I I would write things down, and then the notebook would get found, and then that would constitute snitching but I got over that habit <laughs> so now I snitch on politicians um, <laughs> but I, I've just always known that this was it for me um, and I went through like this whole period of time where I was like journalism 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 I'm gonna be a writer I'm gonna be a writer and that continued up until I was in high school I was like the editor for Force One's little <laughs> magazine um, that came out monthly and I was not good at editing and it was entirely based around Kanye West I had nothing else in there <laughs> no one wanted to write anything and I was like this is mine now I get to do whatever I want and uh, it was the uh, the Forest Lawn Kanye West fan newsletter. Exactly, that's exactly what it was. Um, so it that sort of continued up until grade twelve, and then my around in grade eleven, I put on a hijab, sort of like the beginning of grade eleven. Um, and my parents sort of like let me have my dream. They're like, yeah, journalism, whatever. And then grade twelve hits. It's time to start applying to universities, and I'm ready for communications. I'm ready for like international relations. I'm thinking about all these things that can help me, you know become a writer, become what I've been wanting to be for so long. 
And my parents sat me down and they're like, the media is not going to like you like this. You're not going to find a job. Um, you're not, like, if you want to be on screen, you're not going to be on screen. You wear a hijab. Um, and essentially telling me the reality, they weren't perpetuating stereotypes. They were just letting me know, like, it's going to be hard and we want you to have a good life. Um, and that was really shattering for me. Uh, honestly, it was, it felt like everything that I had dreamt for myself and my entire future was just like lost now. Like I had no other purpose. Like I had, I didn't have a backup plan because this was it. Was that, was that surprising to you? Like, were they telling you things that you hadn't realized or thought about before? Um, I knew I was very naive when I first put on a hijab. I was very, very naive. I was very young. Um, and I put it on out of my own, you know, free will. And my parents at the time were like, don't do this. Like, this is going to be really hard for you. Um, and I just wanted to. And I, I think that decision sort of pushed me forward um, to sort of ignore what was going on because I was like, I put this on on my own. I can challenge stereotypes. Like, I was very much excited about going into this space and making a voice for myself. So I, I knew what they were talking about, but I wasn't completely aware. Um, and then when they said it to me and they verbalized it, that was really shattering because it became like this reality. It was something that was in the back of my mind and now it was at the forefront and I couldn't ignore it. And they were like, just, we really want you to do something else. Um, and like every single other Arab household, um, all of my cousins are like legal assistants and it's like a good job and it's like stable and you can work downtown and in Bankers Hall. So it's very nice and prestigious looking. Um, and they're like, why don't you just try this legal assistant thing and we'll go from there. So I applied to SAIT. Um, I got in. I did two years of legal assisting. I almost dropped out every single day. <laughs> I hated it so much. I got really good at writing emails and leaving voicemails. And um, for about a year after I graduated SAIT, I sort of bounced around. So I would be like um, an office manager or like a tutor or a legal assistant at an immigration place. and. I just really, really, really felt like I didn't have a purpose. And I just kept imagining my life. This is going to sound very dramatic, <laughs> but I just kept imagining my life, like waking up every morning in a house in Temple and like going to the same superstore every single day and just like going to my nine to five and writing these emails for these lawyers and going home. And it just made me so sad. And not that there's anything wrong with that life, but just, and I honestly wish that I could have, enjoyed something that would have given me you know like stable like I just I wish I could have liked something stable but that's just not um what I've ever wanted for myself um so about like a few months into that and a few months into bouncing around I approached my parents again and I was like listen I'm going back to school like I don't care like I I just I need to rediscover my purpose like I can't live like this anymore I can't live feeling lost and living someone else's life and living someone else's dream and trying to conform to someone else's passion just because the world is telling me that this is not for me um so I applied to MRU um originally in like to an English degree because I thought that would open more doors and at this point I was still sort of making excuses for myself. Like, if journalism doesn't work out, I'll have an English degree. If this doesn't work out, I'll have an English degree. Like, it's fine. Um, and then I was like, I can't keep making excuses. This is the same thing I did when I was a legal assistant. Like, this is not what I want to be doing. I'm not learning the things that I want to be learning as much as I love words and I love writing and I love Shakespeare and all these things. 
they're not like it's not what I want to make a career out of. Um, they're different. You probably dodge a bullet. I hate to tell I, you, but an English degree doesn't really open doors. <laughs> yeah, I I discovered that quickly. Um, so yeah, I switched my major about a year into MRU, and it like. I just want to cry whenever I think about it, just sitting in those classes with like these incredible, incredible journalists who have this entire reservoir of experience and this whole lifetime of exactly what I wanted to be doing. And I looked up to them and I still look up to them so, so much. Like they've mentored me in ways that I can't even explain. Um, and just sitting there and learning about like how to properly write a story and how to ask questions that will get meaningful answers out of people and just reigniting this passion in me that has like been there forever for as long as I can remember um, and it was like amazing for me so when when I went in, when I decided I want to be a journalist I in hindsight really didn't have any clear conception of what that job was, what a journalist did. Um, I think it was basically I, like some idea of like some old grizzled reporter chain smoking at a typewriter or something like some old movie from the 50s or like Woodward and Bernstein. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about like what your conception of journalism was. Like did you have like I don't know, cultural touchstones or something that you drew from or like how did you envision like yourself as a journalist? What was that job in your mind? Um, <laughs> when I was younger, my favorite movie was 13 Going on 30. And in that movie, Jenna Rink, um, Jennifer Garner is like a writer. She's, she dreams of writing for this magazine and then she like turns 30 and is writing for this magazine. Um, and like I was like this is what journalism is like she's sitting in a pitch meeting they're trying to figure out how to save the magazine and I was like this is it when I was younger <laughs> I was like I can't wait to sit there with my notepad and write my name at the top of it and be ready which I actually got to experience um, when I interned for Avenue and I was like this is coming full circle but <laughs> um, I would say probably the stereotypical journalist like running around town and tracking down sources and running after them and like asking hard questions and like having the door shut in your face like just these very um, televised images of what a journalist is and then there was obviously like the reality um, of like what I saw on local news of people being like this skating rink is closing and I was like this sounds so boring and I don't want to do it. Um, yeah on that on that note of like watching local news or, or reading local news, I mean, it must have occurred to you that Canadian journalism and especially Calgary journalism is very white. There are like extremely few non-white journalists in this city. Um, did you like, did you realize that before you started pursuing journalism and how did that affect your decision? Oh yeah. When I saw, it's not hard to pick apart like when you look at um you just have to turn on the tv and see just white men delivering like the skating rink is closing like um it's not it's not a secret and i think journalism knows that it's very white especially canadian journalism especially calgary journalism um i think it might i don't want to say it but like they might be trying a little bit with uh who they have on screen like i've seen you know um people of color be represented a little bit more than it was before where we have like the longest way to go and I think it's going to be a very very long journey um, but that never really 
deterred me from it because I went into this knowing that like my parents don't want me to do this and the world doesn't want me to do this because it's going to be hard um so I went in really with this lens of like I know it's white I know it's white I know it's white like that's the reason that I want to be in it because it is white and I need both like I want to be able to represent my own voice um there's been so many articles of like literally white men and women speaking for me um I've watched so many panels speaking on Muslim issues and issues that pertain to people of color when there's like not one drop of color in sight like it's it's very deterring to see but also very inspiring because you want to be that person to to say to be the voice for your I, I don't want to say the voice for your people because that's like tokenizing but um you want to be able to have that voice and I wanted to have a voice for myself and hold the mic for others um rather than just be like this is me, this is my voice, and I'm speaking for other people. Like, I really didn't want to perpetuate what already white people have been doing. Um, so it didn't scare me away, it motivated me further, um, and I feel like it works in my benefit now, ironically enough, because people are looking for diversified voices, um, and I'm glad that's what I can give. I hope that's what I can give. I hope it's not the only thing that I can give, but sometimes I just want to be a journalist, not, like, a Muslim journalist. For me, like... Uh like, obviously, I'm a white journalist and a white guy in the city, but, like, to me, a non-diverse newsroom is a failure of journalism. If you're covering a city that is one-third not white, the, the argument is that, like, anybody can cover any story, and there's some truth to that, but it's what you are missing out in is um, different perspectives because different people experience society differently. You experience the city differently when you grow up, you know, in a middle-class white family in, in, like, the northwest suburbs, like I did, or if you grow up in uh, in Forest Lawn as a woman of color, right? And, and that just changes your experience of the city. And you, you alluded to that, like, you know, you're on 17th Avenue and somebody tells you to, to go home. Like, I've never had any experience like that. So that would change your perspective of the city and would change how you report on the city, I imagine, and the stories that you would pursue and the, the, the angles you would chase after. I'm curious, what, what, what do you think about that and what stories do you think you would cover if you were a local reporter? Stories that represent what Calgary actually is. Um, like, I just came back from Mexico and I had this whole experience of feeling Canadian for the first time, which is very weird to say. Um, because people would like refer to me as the Canadian or like the Canadians, like as the group of us that were there. Um, and it was very weird for me because I've never felt Canadian before because of what has been represented. Like I've not, it's always been like, I'm an Arab in Canada or like I'm a Muslim in Canada. It's never been like, I am Canadian. Um, that's just what it says on my passport. So I've never identified with whatever Canadian culture is. Um, I've never identified with like the stereotypes of what is largely portrayed like I that's just always been something that's been separate to me like I live in Canada but that's not mine and the way that the city is is very very different from what people looking from the outside in are seeing because when someone would ask me about Canadian culture in Mexico or they would ask me about what it was like in Calgary um, they would go off on like this, like, oh, cows and like, um, <laughs> and beers and pickup trucks. And it's so cold there and Tim Hortons. And I was like, yeah, that those things exist, but it's not, <laughs> it's, that's not what the city is. Or I would get 
um, actually one of my professors in Mexico was asking about the difference between Canada and um, Mexico and like the culture. And she was saying like, oh, well, all Canadians move out as soon as you turn 18. And once you turn 18, you're out of the house. But in Mexico, it's different. You stay until you're married. And I just had this really weird moment of realization that what they are seeing from the outside is white Canadian culture or largely white Canadian culture. Um, when they look at Can or Calgary in specific, like they're seeing whatever the news is telling them and whatever, like, or the people that they're seeing on the news, they're seeing these white people. So what largely what they're assuming is like, this is like a white country and um, white culture, whatever that is in this <laughs> in this country because it's so mixed. And I was just like, no, that's not what it's like there. Like I'm expected to stay home until I get married. Like my culture is largely like largely conservative. It it revolves around um, a lot of the things from like Lebanon and Jordan. Like we brought that here with us. And when I look at it at that, and I, I was wondering like, is that Canadian culture then? Because I am Canadian, my parents are Canadian but we brought our culture here. So does that constitute as Canadian culture? What is Canadian culture? Like, um, it's very weird for me, but as, like I was saying, I would just want to cover stories that, that matter to the people that live here, the people that don't feel Canadian, um, the people that don't feel Calgarian, and represent what it means to be a person living within this province, within this country, within this city, um, not just as living here, but as people that contribute to the city and people that interact with the city um, rather than just being someone who's physically here being someone that is culturally here there's a lot in there to unpack but you're, <laughs> no, it's all connected like the the our cultural stereotypes of canada are are created and based upon a white narrative white culture and and the 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 media narratives that you see whether you're outside of canada looking in or you're just any canadian at all consuming any sort of mainstream media news, um, it's, it's controlled by media gatekeepers who are very much white and often male. And that skews in a certain direction in terms of like the, the coverage. And that's why we need more diversity in newsrooms so you can have non-white reporters move up to editor positions and become the gatekeepers. Anyways, that's just... It's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So we, so this, this seems like a good place to jump back to the story about uh, East Calgary is not a culture tour. Can you talk about that uh, and why you wrote it? Yeah, I, I've i always had this underlying feeling from when I was a kid um, that East Calgary, North, Northeast Calgary in specific, was less than. I went to a school in the Southwest, um, in elementary school, and I would always be embarrassed to say that I was from the Northeast. Um, that continued on with me for a while. Like I, I don't know. I didn't know why it was there. I was ashamed of it, though. And when I, when I think back to it, like, and I ponder that shame. Like I knew that it was there, and I knew that I had been internalizing it, but I hadn't identified what it was. Like I just knew that it was something that I should be embarrassed about. Um, and the more I started writing, and the more journalists I interacted with, and the more I started watching the news and sort of discovering my voice, the more I started thinking and wondering like why like what made that shame so prevalent in my life and why even to this day sometimes I'm like oh I'm from Marlboro like I I feel like a little bit of a tinge and that feeling just it just kept bothering me and I was like what is this where is this coming from like what is the root of this and the more I explored and the more I thought about it and the more research that I did um, I discovered something quite obvious like the Northeast 
in East Calgary is looked at as less than. Um, it's where it's very highly um, pock populated and there's a lot of culture tourism that goes on there. Like I didn't really discover that until I started speaking to and interacting with more white people. Um, they would be like, oh, I love going down and getting shawarma. And they'd be like, oh, I love going down and getting a falafel. And I'd be like, bothered by it. <laughs> because in every other space, in every other context, I'm embarrassed to be from the Northeast. But when it comes to food and culture and all of these things and like going down and like having a good time on Southeast and like 17th Ave Southeast and then going home to the Southwest, like that bothered me a lot. Um, so that's why I wrote the story because I was like, there's this whole issue that no one is addressing. Like no, everyone pretends like whenever there is a stereotype that is perpetuated on local news, um, when something violent goes down in the Northeast, when it gets more coverage than if something or like it's it's more expected when it goes down in the northeast but when it's in the southwest it's like oh wow like we can't believe this these nice white people had to experience this thing the difference is so stark and it's so blatant and no one wants to look at it and no one wants to address it because it's in calgary and it's so specific here um that i feel like we get caught up in a lot of the the larger picture of um the climate in in the country and the climate in alberta in general so people get caught up in that and they don't look focus on the specifics or like the the hometown thing where it hits really close um so i wrote the story based on that like just i was honestly just trying to vent <laughs> like i was really upset and i was like no one is talking about this this is the perfect place for me to use my voice because i i experience it on the daily um and yeah some people were not happy about it <laughs> They were not excited. Uh, what, what kind of responses did you get to that? I got a lot of positive responses. Um, a lot of people that were... Uh, actually, a lot of white people that were like, I live in the, in the Northeast, and it, like I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And a lot of people of color that are like, yeah, I, like um, just my interactions with people and just sort of really relating to what I had said, which felt incredible to know that I wasn't just like crazy and over-exaggerating the fact that people... Um, don't like Marlboro or like the stereotypes about Marlboro or Forest Lawn or whatever. Um, but then I got some negative reactions. Like I had written in this story like, yeah, come, have a shawarma, like have like whatever you want, just come through, but also don't behind your white closed doors talk about how shitty Marlboro is. Sorry, can I swear on this? Fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, or like how run down Forest Lawn is or how you don't want to go there at night. Like when you're when you're behind closed doors in your little southwest apartment don't be talking shit like, and then go have a shawarma for two seconds and go back like you can't experience the benefits of something without and also like perpetuate the stereotypes like with your your friends and your the people that you interact with in in places of privilege in the city like you need to address the fact that there's like a, a very clear narrative that has been established in the city from like it goes way back and you need to understand and realize where that root is from because it is because it's saturated with people of color because when we move from wherever countries we're coming from we want to be with our own people and that just happens to be the east of calgary and that happens to be where everyone has assigned the the stereotypes for that reason it was also originally it became sort of the the immigrant area because it was the, the cheap land near factories that no one else wanted to buy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a lot of history that goes into the Northeast and to the Southeast in general, um, but that, it's exactly what the headline is. It's a culture tour for some people. Like They come through, um, they experience that part of the city, and then they go home. 
when I grew up in Calgary, like there was absolutely a stereotype that was just casually thrown around about um, Forest Lawn in particular being like very dangerous. Don't go there at night. Like it's just the rough part of town, and it like there's been some pushback. Uh, the, the culture tour thing is more like, you know, yeah, Forest Lawn's great. Like, International Avenue's great. They've got all this great food. You should go there and check it out. It's great. But that stigma and stereotype still remains, and people really still cling to it, despite the fact that, like, Forest Lawn has lower crime rates than the Beltline. That's what drives me insane, because the statistics are online. Like, I looked at them when I was researching this story, and it was insane to me, like, the, the crime rates and more affluent parts of the city versus what has been established as Forest Lawn. And it's so deeply embedded in the city. When I found out I was going to Forest Lawn for high school, I lost my mind. We went there to drop off some forms or something and I was like, I hate it here. It's so dangerous. And like my first day there, I was so scared that someone was going to force weed down my throat. Like I was like, they're going to force me to smoke weed. I'm going to be like, they're going to make me be in a gang. Like they're going to force me to sell these drugs. Like I, that was a hundred percent a real fear for me like I was actually terrified um, and then now like I look back and I laugh at it because that's so embarrassing but I am also so sad because that was so embedded in me and so internalized for so long that me being from the Northeast was scared to go to Forest Lawn even though I have grown up around that area um, you talked a little bit about wearing the hijab your decision to do it and your parents warning you that it would make life harder for you and specifically a career in journalism harder for you. I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about what what it's like wearing a hijab in Calgary just like as an ordinary person walking around and whether or not it does play a role like in how you, in your experiences as a reporter? When I first put it on, like I said, I was quite naive and I wasn't my eyes weren't really open to the world and to microaggression and to things like that. So when I first put it on, I thought things were great. Like no one was, I thought no one was treating me differently. Like I thought it was okay. Um, but when I look back at it now, it makes me really sad because there are things that I remember that I can identify now as microaggression and sometimes macroaggression that I had not yet placed. Um, so a lot of the time it would just be like an off feeling. Um, and you know, someone assuming that I didn't spoke English, didn't spoke, <laughs> I don't spoke English. Someone assuming that I don't speak English, or um, being called articulate, or these things that I hadn't experienced without a hijab, uh, and then experiencing them, like I thought it was fine because no one was like trying to rip it off of my head. Like that's what I was prepared for. That's what I thought Islamophobia was, rather than the systemic thing that has been built in to what Canada and Alberta and Calgary is. Um, so it is very different now. Like when I when I walk down the street or something, like I I I notice the stares more. Like when someone speaks to me and like they're surprised when I open my mouth and an accent doesn't come out. Like those are things that I notice. When I get called articulate, those are things that I notice. Like there's a lot a lot of macro or microaggression and there's a lot of smiling racism that goes on in the city. Um, Canada is assumed to be like this really tolerant, nice place. Like Canadians are so nice, and Calgary is like. Uh, whenever I speak to someone that's not from here, they're like, oh, Calgarians are so nice. And I'm like, you're seeing what has been perpetuated. You're seeing what white Calgarians experience. Um, for me, it's always present. Like, I'm always aware of everything, all of the time. It's exhausting. Um, so 
this is something that happens with like a lot of like visible minorities and people of color like you question whether or not something is something that you should be upset about um, but a lot of the time it is like if you have a feeling that's that's what it is like it's it's most likely a microaggression um, the one time though that I really had my eyes opened sort of forcefully <laughs> was um, a point in my in my life when I was working at a jewelry store and this is sort of when before I just before I became a, um, a journalist and before I went to journalism school. Um, I was working at a jewelry store and these two white women came in and they were asking about a gold chain or something. And they were asking how long it was, like, on a neck. And um, I moved my hijab to the side to sort of show them because I had been wearing the same one. And I was like, oh, well, this is, like, sort of the length. And as soon as I moved my hijab to the side, they jumped back. And they're like, oh, we didn't know what you were going to pull out of there. And they sort of laughed it off. And... I just remember sitting there in that moment and having it be so in my face but not in my face because they were laughing about it um, and that's sort of when my eyes started to be open and then I got all <laughs> social justice warrior and <laughs> I went through that whole period of my life and like triggered forever. Um, honestly I probably have it like close to the best like <laughs> I'm like a white Arab out here um, people don't really address it but like my like I'm quite light if I take my hijab off then I'm like pretty white passing like I could exist in this city as just like a normal person um so where my oppression comes from is like literally just like this this fabric that's around my head but a lot of people have it a lot worse um and what about in your journalism career oh yes um like if I felt anything in my journalism well just like if it if it has come up I guess as a reporter like if if uh if in interviews if it's people have reacted to it or something or if uh, if that smiling racism I guess has, has played a role you know a lot of the stories that I have done have been around like people of color like the, a lot of the the interviews that I've done the northern Alberta work camp one was actually like a lot of those interviews were done over the phone um, and that's like the one time white men have supported me. <laughs> like they were very excited about that story. They're like, thank you for exposing the truth. And I was like, you're welcome. <laughs> you don't even know that I'm like, I, there's actually one guy I was going through his Facebook feed and he had shared my story and then right under it was like, Muslims are taking over. And I was like, if only you knew, sir, if only you knew who wrote this story. Um, <laughs> so that's like probably the one that I was most concerned about was like meeting people in public and uh, speaking to them, but it was mostly over the phone, so it was fine. Um, the only time that I really like felt it, felt it was the the Trump supporter story that I did for Vice, and that is like a whole situation in and of itself. Like it was, um, I, w I think like three days back and forth, or I, I would say like a week back and forth to Sylvan Lake and to um, his uh, his area, and like trying to like track um, him being uh, Devon Drishan, uh trying to track him down for an interview and sort of interacting with like very white Alberta like like farm town white Alberta like that was really scary to me like I took my brother with me and he was like this is kind of scary like maybe like don't stand outside just wait in the car um, so that was the only time it really like I felt it a lot when I first showed up to sort of interview Devin he wasn't at his campaign office it was his mom um, and they saw my hijab and like I sort of got like a weird reaction because I was the only visibly different person in the entire town um, and they 
they were just sort of like taken aback and then I sort of played it like I was his supporter and then I became like the token and they were like oh yeah come to the barbecue like yeah come support him the UCP and I was like okay <laughs> thank you I'm gonna write a really bad story about him <laughs> um, and yeah that's the, the time that I really felt it but otherwise um, a lot of my like I've tried to stick to stories that I want to write um, and stories that I want to tell um, so a lot of them have been, you know, focused on the issues of people of color and um, focused on the issues of visible minorities. So I haven't run into it as of yet. Uh, we'll see. Like, maybe ask me maybe when I'm in a newsroom at some point and someone <laughs> calls me articulate again. But uh, otherwise, it's been okay. So what, what does, this is the big question I'm wondering, what does the journalism landscape look like to somebody who is just starting their career in 2019? Like, where do you see your career going where do you what do you want to do in your career what path do you want to follow like how, do, how does the landscape look like to you it looks bleak <laughs> i don't know what to tell you <laughs> a lot of my first year courses my favorite memory from my first year courses like I, all of these excited journalism students are sitting there like we're ready where we want to write stories and our professors get up there and we're like okay i know it feels like journalism is dying but it's not and that was like the tone for every single course it was like journalism is dying but don't worry it's a renaissance like we're not we don't have enough money but don't worry like you can still <laughs> you can still do this um looking sort of forward i sort of despite all of the, the the things that are happening right now and everyone sort of being let go and off and like funding being cut and when I look at it it's it does look bleak um but it is transforming in a way that I'm very excited for I feel like when they say it's going through this renaissance like I I honestly believe it like I believe that journalism is dying in the way that it was before like traditional journalism might be dying off and people are not paying attention to it anymore but the way that it's transforming into like opinion pieces and like um, real voices being shared and people like taking it into their own hands when they don't trust um, traditional journalists to do the job uh, that makes me very excited because like that's that's the journalism that I've always wanted like that's what I've always wanted to go into um, so the future is unknown but also like I'm excited to see how it unfolds I'm excited to see what this industry turns into um, and I'm excited to be a part of that change when I look forward I I always say that this is like very cliche and very broad, but I just know that I want to change the world. And I will do that in any way that I know how and any way that I possibly can. If that means like a drop in the ocean of problems and issues that exist in society, like that will fulfill me, that will make me happy. If I can make the slightest change. Um, and I think that's a lot of the reason that most of my friends have gone into journalism or like a lot of the journalists that I've interacted with like they just want to change the world like no one's in this for the money if we're being honest about it um nope <laughs> exactly like no no one is out here running on a paycheck we're running on passion and drive and a want for a better world I at least that's what I hope that's what I've gone from the majority and that's what I'm running on um so as you know cloudy as my future looks and as unknown as it is, that really, that excites me because I don't want to know what's going to happen. I just want to work towards whatever it is. And I know that whatever it is, it's going to be something that I'm passionate about and proud of and something that changes something. Are you going to stay in Calgary? No. Um, not because I don't want to. 
well, yeah, because I don't want to, but <laughs> because I feel like there is so much to experience out in the world. And um, as much as I love Calgary and it's my hometown and it's like where I grew up and it's where I have all of my memories from my entire life, I feel like there are a lot of stories that need to be told outside of the city. Um, and I feel like I need to grow as a reporter before I can settle down in Calgary. So I, I do, I, I see myself leaving for a while and then coming back because this is like home. Yeah, please do come back. Yeah, I mean, if, if someone wants to give me a job, <laughs> I will stay. Um, offer me a paycheck, I will stay, but <laughs> it's looking like I'm going to have to go. All right, Hadil, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I forgot about the joke. That's it for the show. Big thanks to Hadil. If you are intrigued by her story about East Calgary, check out the show notes. There will be a link to it in there. And uh, someone should hire her. The Calgarian is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Lambert. Theme music is Dandelion by Ghostkeeper. If you like this show, please feed and water it by sharing it on social media, leaving a review in your podcast app, or checking out the Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca for more details. Thanks for listening.